Amen. 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 Let's continue worship by going to his word. So let's pray. Father, we just love you. And we just thank you for an opportunity to be in your presence, Lord. We thank you for your word. Lord, we don't, we don't ever want to take your words for granted because they are life. These, life, these words change us one step at a time, Father. And I give you praise for all that you're going to do today. And I want to say the Hebrew prayer, Baruchatah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Ashir Kedoshana, Babitz Fatah, Vitzivanyu, La'asok Be'devrah Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe who sanctifies us with his commandments and commanded us to engross or immerse ourselves in the words of the Torah. Amen. 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 Um, I have a lot. I say a lot, but I wanted to talk about a few things. Uh, I want to talk about imaginations and images. Um, the title of this message is Confronting Casper, and he's not very friendly. That's the title. And, and it kind of goes along with what um, Cheryl was teaching this morning, um, but I also wanted to lay a foundation even before that. Um, I read, some of y'all have one. I saw I saw Bobby with his up here a few weeks ago, but um, I have my humash. Anybody have a humash? Okay. Um, it's awesome. It has commentaries um, on the scripture, and I want to read a few pages of it because I want to start with a good foundation. Then after that foundation, we're going to get into the um, actual message. So. All right. First it says, a well-planned a well building is based on a concept. The architect begins with an idea, and from it plan from it has his plan emerges. The intricacies of construction may involve scores of contractors, hundreds of suppliers, thousands of workers, millions of tools and parts and nails and screws. There may be piping enough to stretch for miles, wiring enough to span a continent, but everything unfolds from the original concept and discerning critics will look for the soul that is sheathed in steel, masonry and glass. It may take much training and uncommon brilliance to look through thousands of pages of blueprint and discover the single unifying concept from which they grew. But every intelligent layman knows that there is a purpose behind the volumes of plans. We all have order, we all order our lives that way. When parents plan a home for their family, the glimmer in their minds is of a comfortable and wholesome place to live and grow, right? When a Rosh Yeshiva seeks to perpetuate the study of the Torah. He dreams of the creative crescendo in his future study hall. Nevertheless, before such final goals can be realized, there are a long list of tasks seemingly unrelated to the goal. Obtaining the land, engaging an architect, formulating an idea, reducing it to a blueprint, finding a builder, obtaining financing, and so on and so on. Only after all the work is done can the original dream take shape. This concept is expressed beautifully in a phrase from the classic Sabbath song, Lecha Dodi, which is, and this is really the crux of everything I just read, was the end of deed is first in thought. Think about that. The end of deed is first in thought. So we start with the end in order to build our lives. Amen? They decide upon a goal and then work their way toward its fulfillment. The more accomplished the person 
the more ambitious the goal and the more difficult and complex the road to its attainment. God's blueprint. God, too, created. I love this. I don't know about you, but I like reading the, the preface in the Bible because a lot of times there is so much knowledge just in the words before the scripture because you get a lot of insight on where the author, whoever actually put it all together, you get insight on where they're trying to go. So let me continue. Um, God, too, created the world from a plan and for a purpose. His plan was the Torah, which preceded the world from Shabbos 88b. Um, and his purpose was that human beings find the meaning and the goal of creation in the Torah. He looked into the Torah and created the world. So the blueprint for the world was already found in the Torah. I think that's beautiful. And he designed the universe to make it possible for human beings to carry out the commandments. Indeed, and some of this is Midrashic teaching, um, but whenever you study the Midrash, you just have to line it up with Scripture. But I absolutely love this. Indeed, it was precisely because the Torah can be fulfilled only on earth that Moses succeeded in taking it from heaven and bringing it to the children of Israel. When God prepared to give the Torah to Moses, the angels angrily contended that man was too lowly and degraded to deserve it. The angels begged God, you should place your majesty, the Torah, above the heavens. What is a frail human that you should remember him? What is a son of mortal man that you should be mindful of him? That's from Psalms 8, 2 and 5. Moses refuted them, saying that the Torah could only have been destined for people. It speaks of a nation being freed from Egypt. Were you enslaved by Pharaoh? It demands honesty in business. Are you involved with commerce? It commands the parents to be honored. Do you have a father and mother? It forbids murder, adultery, and theft. Is there jealousy among you? Just as advanced scholars today study the laws of the temple service, when we have no temple, so the angels could have studied the Torah on a spiritual and philosophical level higher than that of human beings. Instead, Moses pointed to earth and man as the instrument selected by the divine architect for the fulfillment of the Torah's demands. Since God created the universe in consonance with the Torah's requirements, logic demanded that the Torah descend to earth when ordinary human beings could carry out its precepts literally. The angels were right to say that you shall not steal has a spiritual dimension that is above human comprehension. But if that was all it meant, then God would not have created physical world filled with animal temptations and larcenious instincts. Had he been concerned only with angelic concepts of honor to parents, then he would not have created flesh and blood parents and children. With the blend of harmony and friction, love and resentment that makes the parent-child relationship at once beautiful and difficult. Moses convinced the angels that the physical universe translated the Torah into its material manifestation, that only people could carry out God's will, and that only with the Torah could they do so. So the Torah came down to earth, but that did not mean that it was to be shorn, shorn of its spiritual content. When Adam was created, in Genesis 2.15, God placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and guard it. The Midrash expounds that was to work it through the performance of positive commandments and guard it through the observance of negative commandments. This comment provided, provides a new insight into, a pur into the purpose of human activities. To be sure, the garden contained real trees and fruits, and like all orchards, it had to be cared for and protected. 
But God wanted Adam to know that he had a higher purpose than that, higher mission than that. In his most exalted state of mind, a person can realize that the true essence of all his earthly endeavors is his service of God and that plows and fences can dull his spirituality and blind him to the purpose of his mission. For example, we are all familiar with sad tales of idealists who long to improve the world, only to fall into love with power and forget why they sought it. We're going to talk about that. Some people gain authority and use it to make the world better and accumulate money that they contribute to important causes. Others become strong and rich only to swell their egos and gratify their desires. Or let us imagine that we could make a wish and improve people's lives. How would we do it? Some would give them homes and bulging bank accounts. Others would give them knowledge and morality. The choice would depend on the spiritual level of the one making the decision. Which of these alternatives would be better? Work and guard God's garden? Obviously, it is not easy to choose properly, for that choice can be made only by someone who is not deceived by surface reality. Amen. Almost done. Through the woods, through the woods, through the words of Hashem, the heavens were made, Psalms 33:6, and God's ineffable word took physical form. So just to gain concept, at least what I get out of this, was God looked, the Torah is the blueprint for everything. That's just how important the Torah is. In Perkei Avot, it says we're to turn it over. We're to turn it over again. We're to look into it, become gray-haired and old in it. See, that's just how important the Torah is. We need to keep studying. And that's what we do here at Congregation Beth and I. And all over the world, we continue to study the Torah so that we can get better, so we can live our lives. Amen? Um, and let me keep reading. Almost done. Heaven and earth and all their fullness became the clothing for the word of God, which infuses creation and without which the world could not continue to exist. The black and white fire of Torah became garbed in, link, in ink and parchment. And God's wisdom, which is the essence of Torah, was embedded in its words and letters. And this is a little out there with this part on the Midrash. I like it. But anyway, just have that in mind. Uh, when the ancient Romans condemned the Mishnaic sage Rabbi Kanina, Kania ben Teradion to death for the crime of teaching the Torah, they wrapped him in a Torah scroll and set him aflame. As his agony reached its climax, his students asked him, Rabbi, what do you see? He answered, the parchments are consumed and the letters fly up to heaven. That's from the middle. Wow. Messes up my mind. Rabbi Kanina saw what his students could not. Flames can burn parchment and ink, but the letters of the Torah are eternal. For the physical scroll is their abode, not their essence. Hidden in the human scribe's handiwork is the wisdom of the scribe who composed and wrote the first Torah in black fire upon white fire. Rabbi Kanina's Roman ex executioners could exult as did barbarians in every, in every century as they vented their hatred on God's Torah, the symbol of all they despised, but they could no more destroy the Torah than they could override the laws of nature. It's not happening. The letters are eternal for they are the will of the eternal. And I believe if we have this concept of the Torah, we know that it is, it's his word. It's even beyond that. 
This is something that's going to be forever. When he said his word will last forever, that's what it means. So our job is to take his Torah and put it in our heart. Because our bodies, our minds are like his garden. And we take it and we keep planting it. We replant it. Plant it again so that we can grow forth fruit. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I had one more thing to read. I love this and I won't say that anymore. Maybe I will. All right. Um, the Torah is the eternal living monument of God's rendezvous with Israel. It's the nation's raison d'etre, the soul, that's the Hebrew word, that enables the nation to survive every trial. And that works the same for us. It's, this is what's going to allow us to survive anything that we come into. So now we're going to actually get to our message. You're like, what? All right. And the message is confronting Casper, and he's not very friendly. Hmm. So let's go to, um, I did not. I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We could put that on the screen. And we're going to read verses... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I believe. And we're going to read verses 3 through 8. 3 through 8. And we're getting there. And while they're getting there, I'll just start reading. Um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we are abundantly, we share abund abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for, our, for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And this is the key verse I was getting to. Um, for we do not want to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength and we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Think about that. He said, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despair of life itself. I think Paul gave us a glimpse of how he was feeling. It's different than our behavior because you can see my behavior all day. As a matter of fact, we can come to the congregation, we can go to a church, and we'll see an outward appearance of how we're living, but we really don't know how someone really feels, if that makes sense. We don't know what it costs you until we know what or how you feel. Sometimes we judge people based on their performance. We, often, we are often distracted by what people do and not know how people feel. And honestly, um, teachers, our rabbis here, absolutely make it look easy. It looks like, you know, this just flows and this, this is awesome, but there's so many details that go into the service. You have the Oneg ministry, you have the, the greeters, you have the audio, you have, you have so much into that. But, but we, again, we need to somehow, sometimes look, just kind of step back and just understand how people are feeling. Because sometimes we can get so much in a rote of doing things that we miss that. Um, we're often distracted 
um, I read that. You can, have, you can have received the gospel and be on the edge. And the reason, one of the reasons I, I kind of got this topic, um, I, I teach it in high school, and we have a group. We meet every Thursday, um, FCA, and another group we meet on Friday mornings. And one of their topics was depression. And a lot of teenagers are dealing with depression. And these are believers. These are believers who love the Lord, but they're dealing with things on the inside, and sometimes they don't know how to release it. They don't know how to talk about it. Because sometimes, I think even for, for believers, it can almost, it, it's almost like we feel that we shouldn't say it's not okay. I think it's okay to say it's not okay. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm going through something, I'm working something out. Instead of holding it all in and think you're out there by yourself. Let me keep going. Um, something that I got out of one of those meetings that they were talking about, they said sometimes, these are some of the things the teens were saying, they said sometimes they had to laugh to keep from crying. Anybody had those feelings ever? Me? Um, even though they knew God, um, again, they, they knew God, but again, they just didn't think he was enough. Men that perform the best never get the comfort from others because they, we make it look easy. Um, sometimes, again, people are under pressure. Everything has a bursting point. Think about um, a tire. You, you can't inflate a tire but to, I don't know, a certain PSI, right? We're humans. Every human has a point where if you push someone too far that you may come out in the wrong way, if that makes sense. But you know what? Today what we're going to do, I want to pray because I know that we need healing, okay? And not just, I say we, there's probably somebody who's watching right now on the internet that you may need healing yourself, but you don't know who to talk to or you don't know how to talk to somebody. But sometimes it's okay to say, you know what? I need help. I need to get out of myself. Many have mastered the art of camouflage. And we do this all day because we put on that mask. In our society, we ask, how are you? But many times we really don't mean it. Right? They have to all say, how you doing? Hi, I'm all right. You know, you should test it sometimes. And when somebody asks you how you're doing, just stop and just let them have it. See what happens. They're probably going to try to walk the other way. They're, whoa, whoa, I'm just, I was really just saying hello, you know. But it's just a greeting. I'm not saying it's negative or bad, but it's just our culture. But I think we need to do our due diligence to really ask our rabbis. Rabbi, how are you feeling today? You know, what's going on? You know, because sometimes, again, others, we make things look so easy, but again, we can put on the mask and we don't even know it's there. Um, I have a few statistics here. It says, this is a national trend. I got it from um, Dr. Google, you know. All right, the number of suicides in the United States increased 24% from 1999 to 2014. And I just want to show you that this is a real problem. This is something that we need to deal with in congregations, in church. This is not something that's in the world. This is here, believers. Um, gaining momentum after 2006, and let me see a few more. Let me jump down. I got a lot of statistics. It's no surprise that more than half of Americans believe suicide is an epidemic, 56%, according to 2015 Lifeway Research. Most said they didn't think those who make their, take their own lives are selfish, 55%, and a few other statistics. Um, among evangelicals, however, 44% said committing suicide was selfish. 32% said those who commit suicide are going to H-E-double hockey sticks. That's another conversation. We'll leave that one alone right now. Um, 
Pastors aren't immune to the rising, and rabbis are not immune to the rising suicide rates. More than half of pastors have counseled people who were later diagnosed with a mental illness, 59%. About a quarter says they experienced some type of mental illness themselves. Uh, let's move on down here. Um, Chuck Hannaford, a clinical psychologist who consults for the Southern Baptist Convention, said he believes the rate of pastor suicides has increased during the 30 years of his practice, and he expects the numbers will continue. And I believe the enemy can't stop us as a believer from being blessed. If you read the scripture, we know that. He can't, there's nothing he can do. But what he wants to do is stop you from feeling blessed. It all starts in the mind. Because you can be blessed all day. Some of us in here, we are so blessed beyond measure with homes, with cars and other things. But we can be blessed and not even know it in our mind. Because we're so messed up with that. And again, this is something, that's why the scripture talks about, and we're not even there yet. But it's talking about casting down imaginations. Think of imaginations. They're like images in our brain. So how do we get that image out? Through his word. That's why it's so important to study the Torah, which we learned the foundation came from the throne of heaven. That's our blueprint. When we get that foundation inside of us, it's going to kind of take it out of you. It's kind of like I've been, um, I'm working on eating better, and I'm doing an okay job. Uh, but it depends on the day. But what I need to do is eat more good food than I do the bad food. And then when I start to do that continually, honestly, I start enjoying the better food. It's the same way with the Torah. There's no different. As we begin to study his word, meditate on it, continue to put it in our body, you're going to start to almost yearn for it. You're going to start to just, it's going to be so exciting to you that you're not going to know what to do. And if you're not to that point where you say, I don't, when I start reading the scripture, I fall asleep. That's all right, keep reading. Keep studying. And when you keep studying, it's just going to start getting in you and it's going to just start to overflow. And that's okay. That's life. Let me keep going. Um, it is with our whole being that we serve the Lord, but it starts in the mind. It does not matter what your feet and hands do, but if your mind is not there, you already know. Your hands can be saying one thing when your mind is saying something else. Amen. Um, in, in school, some of y'all recognize it, but all over school, those teens, you know this, um, Teens are not standing whenever we say the Pledge of Allegiance all over America. We used to stand. It wasn't even a question. But we know why. I'm not even going to go there to say why or not why. But the issue is I didn't even say anything for the whole year until yesterday. I was talking to Daphne about it because I wanted to get in their minds. I wanted to say, you know why? And I waited till it was calm. It was a relaxed environment. I said, you know what? Why are you not standing for the pledge. And what I did, my goal was to get in their mind. Because I've done things where I could yell at them and make them stand and go through all that. Because if you make somebody do something, they'll do it all day because you made them do it. But it's meaningless. It's like I can make them stand. They would all stand. But really, in their mind, they are sitting down. Does that make sense? And that's what we do all day. Sometimes we go through the motion in our minds with doing things. But we're really doing something else. That's why I say sometimes I want everybody to be here because we need to all be in the moment. The moment is so important. 
because we miss that. Sometimes we should be listening to some teaching about the Torah, but really our mind is on what I'm going to eat for dinner. Anybody mind on what they're going to eat for dinner? Don't tell me that. No. Put your hand down, Adrian. It's your guy. The truth, right? The truth. That's it. But again, we should be in the moment. And as we're in that moment, I believe God will take us and develop us. He'll move us to another place. That's why just because you come to congregation don't mean you're getting a word. You could just be coming here for a social group. You might come here to meet a friend, to hang out. That's nothing. I don't want to say that's nothing. Let me take that back. I'm sorry. That's probably mean. Okay. But what it means is you need to come. And as you continue to come, it'll start to get in there. It'll start to mold you. Um, I like to say those, um, the ones who like to come only at the special services, they come on certain holidays. Um, back when I was uh, going to regular church, those are the Christmas, Easter, um, certain, they just come for those because it's almost like out of obligation. Does that make sense? But you don't want to do this because it's obligation. I study the word because I absolutely love it, and I absolutely know it's going to change my life. You say, I'm not there yet. So what? We just got to continue to do what we need to do until we get there. Amen. All right. Uh, if we could go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, maybe. We have some great workers back there who are working to pull this up any minute now. Okay, just think. Thank you. All right. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So let this mind be. That means it's an act of our will to let this mind of the Messiah being us. It's not up to him. He's already done it. We have to take his mind and put it in us and continue to put it in us. The enemy wants your mind. Your mind is like your garden of Eden. Let me prove it to you. The promises of God are, God are planted in your mind. We plant them. First of your labor, the fruit of your labor is growing in your mind. The fruit of your labor is growing in your mind. The harbor of accidents, life, stuff, tragedies, death, it's all where? It's all in our mind. It's images. That's why I said our, our mind is like a garden of Eden. And we have to just cultivate our, we need to clean out some weeds. If you broke your arm in here, how many of you would just let your arm, just let it, just don't do nothing about it? No. If you broke your arm today, you're going to the hospital in like five minutes, right? But if we break our brain, as me and Caleb Aaron were talking about, don't break your brain. But if your brain is broke, but you get what I'm saying, you need to get it fixed. So that means we need to take our, because some people, again, we deal with, some things are mental. Sometimes we need medication to help us to get to a place so that we can actually think straight. I think that is perfectly fine because we need to do what we need to do to fix this mind. And that's our objective. That's what God has given for us to do. Um, let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Um, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Y'all knew I was going here. I perceive some of your thoughts. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of the darkness, and against the spiritual forces in wickedness in the heavenly places. Our fight is not against people. It's against spiritual wickedness, spiritual darkness in heavenly places. It's against the mind. Joyce Myers, I bet everybody here 
listen to Joyce Myers, her battleground of the mind. She talks about this all the time. The battleground is right here. We have to win it. The battlefield of the mind, thank you. We, we, and, but this is where it starts. We have to do our due diligence to fix that. Um, we are all in, in a fight and need some weapons. You, you have been in a fight and need a weapon. Um, it's kind of like um, sometimes when I go, it's been a while, but sometimes maybe I go in and walk the dog. And, well, I don't walk our dog because he's so small now. Our old dog, okay, when a little larger. Um, I need a weapon sometimes with me when I go out in certain neighborhoods because sometimes there are other dogs out there who might, you know what I'm saying, right? But that's the same thing in life. We need some weapons to help us to fight. And our weapon is the Torah. It's the scripture. Um, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. For though we walk in the flesh, and we do not war against, and we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought, that's what I was getting at, into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to read that in another version. Casting down imaginations. Imaginations, that's what I was getting at. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Imaginations, that's Casper. The ghost. We need to take and I said, Casper sometimes is not very friendly. Because sometimes we have thoughts in our mind that will take us in places that we don't need to go. Um, some are memories, possibility that has not happened. Um, we, are all, we, are often doing, we are often doing this to ourselves. The longer you live, the more images you collect. The longer we live, we have more sometimes negative images that we collect from life. Again, we've got to continue to do our due diligence to pull those images out. Here's some negative images. You're going to get cancer at a young age. You're going to die at a young age. He's going to leave you. She's going to leave you. You're going to lose your job. You're going to fail that test. How do you see or feel about yourself changes everything. It's like some of y'all say, I don't like any of those images that you said. And that's good. That's why we have to continually put those words in us. And I hear it all the time when I hear students say things that, you know, I'm going to fail this test. We need to help them to change that mindset. No, you're going to do great. We want you to change that. You have the mind of the Messiah. I can't say that in school, but I can say that here. But again, we need to help them change that because they all, we all need help. Um, maybe the issue is that we have a faulty image of life and living in a nation of images. The magic we get from the images, think image, I thought image, magic, think of magic, anyway, don't go there. The magic we get from the images that we paint, sometimes we will destroy the real to protect the image. You can't always counsel imaginations. I'm not against counseling, I am against counseling yourself. Let me read that again, five times. I am against counseling yourself. Let me explain what I mean. The smarter you are, Sometimes, just depends, the more inclined you are to counsel yourself. I don't need to talk to nobody. I'm fine. Because you're talking to yourself. 
you need to talk to someone who does not have the image to see where that's your faulty view of reality. You ever counsel yourself all day, start in the morning, counsel yourself? I can't believe they did this. They did this over here. You never go to the Word. You never pray about it. And you go to bed still messed up. Anybody ever done that? I'm raising my hand. Right? You just faulty counsel yourself all day. That's why we have to change that. That's why we need to do something like, okay, I need to get in the Word. I need to go study. I need to go listen to some teaching. I need to go listen to my rabbis yell at me for a minute. Okay? That's right. Because we need to do that so that we can change our mindset. And we have to do that ourselves. We have to police ourselves. Amen? All right. Um, how many self-medicators do we have? Treating yourself, justifying yourself, medicating yourself, and going to bed confused. <laughs> Amen. We do it all the time. And we, but we shouldn't. And we have to change that. And if we do, you got to just, you ever do something you've, in the middle of you go, what am I doing? Why am I saying that? I shouldn't. We do it all the time, but we got to stop ourselves. That's why the congregation, this is a place of healing. We're here to learn, but we need to heal so that we can change other people. Amen. Um, you are haunted. You're being haunted by Casper again, and he's not friendly. I say, we need to lock him up. Because you know what? You can't kill him. Sometimes you can't kill those thoughts. You ever have thoughts from, imagine, let me give you something very vulgar. Someone was raped at an early age. Do you think they're going to ever forget that? Probably not. So they're not going to kill the thought, but they can take the power back. Does that make sense? So sometimes they can take the power back, but maybe they need to, again, get into his word and learn who they are in Messiah. And when they do that, they may need to face that person and say, I hate what you did to me. I really want to punch you in the eye, you know, but whatever it is, anyway, that was just me. But you got to do what you got to do to take that power back. Because if you don't take the power back, that person who's doing whatever they're doing, they still have power over you, if that makes sense. And it's completely up to us. Um, it's hard to live with you because you're not at home. Let me say that again. Sometimes it's hard to live with us, us, we, because we're not there. Again, we can be going through life, going through the motions, and not be in the moment. We're some other place. That's why some, sometimes it's hard to live with people or talk to people because really you're not talking to them. You're talking at them. And this happens all day, at least all day to me, with dealing with teenagers. Hey, I just had to pick on y'all again. I just can't help it. Because sometimes you've got to figure out how to get through that whatever in the world they're dealing with so you can get to the real them. Um, I have a student, he would come, he comes like almost every day, uh, if he's watching. Anyway, um, and he would tell me, he'd say, how you doing? And I'll have to stop and say, hey, how are you really doing? And he'll pause, and then he'll start talking. Because again, that how you're doing thing, we just think it's like hello. That's why we need to do our due diligence to help people get out of that. Amen? All right. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And we're coming into a closing, a landing. I promise. No temptation has overtaken you except such as in common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Sometimes people will fail us. Am I telling the truth? 
Sometimes, people, sometimes it might be your parents that fail you. Sometimes it might be your uncle, your dad, your cousin. Sometimes it's blood, whoever it is. But God will never fail us. God will never fail us. But we have to do our due diligence when we feel that we're about to blow a fuse. We need to get some help. We need to go pray about it. That's why after today, we're going to have a great prayer team. They're going to be up front. And if you need some prayer, please come and get prayer. Because we all need help. Don't think anyone in here is above help. None of us. Because again, sometimes we're going through things, but we don't want to get it out. And if you're trying to wrestle things by yourself, it's going to stay with you. It's going to stay with you until you do the due diligence to get some help about it. Amen? All right. Um, the disciples fell asleep on Jesus. Y'all remember that? When he went to go pray? That's because these are men. He said, I want you to stay here and pray. I want you to hang out. Don't move. What'd they do? <sighs> Sleep. What's up? Y'all supposed to be, have my back. But again, that's men. Sometimes men will fail us. And we got to understand the big picture. When people fail you, don't get so mad at them. Because they're just trying to figure out life themselves. Right? Because sometimes I think we have so, oh, this is another topic. We don't have time because we got to close. But I think sometimes we have too high of expectation on other people. We almost make them like our God. And when they fail us, we go, I don't know what. I don't know what happened. You start losing it, cussing. Yeah, you got cussing Christians, okay? Yeah, I'm just throwing that out there, okay? That's just real. That's just be anybody real here? Yes. That's just reality. And sometimes when you get to that point, that anger, some people it goes outward. Um, and I'm going to close with this. Sometimes depression is described as anger gone inward. It's like you're angry with yourself. And when you're angry with yourself, we have things that come out that who knows? All kind of things. Amen? And this is a great place to stop. Let me read this last thing. I said last thing. I'm, I'm in great company because um, the Apostle Paul would say in closing, and then he would go on like 20 other verses. So just thought I'd throw out. Sorry. All right. I couldn't help it. All right, more pressure than you know how to bear. Sometimes we have a fake smile, but you're under pressure. Um, some things that put us under pressure are age, life, children. The children put us under pressure. Y'all like, amen. Anyway, amen. Uh, my fault, I'm sorry. Manhood. Sometimes we're pressured to be a man. Especially young men who are 15, 16, you're pressured to be, have a certain image. Stop. Don't do it. Um, you're pressured to be a father. If you're a father, I'm a father. Maybe you have pressure there. Um, you're pressured in school because grades are pressure, right? You're pressured with love. You're pressured with stuff. We need to do our due diligence to get out of that. Because, again, we all have a breaking point. Don't think you are God because you're not. I just want to make that clear. That wasn't correct grammar because I'm not either. We all have a breaking point. We need people in our lives to help us to bust our bubbles. And my, my bubble bus, bus, uh, my bubble busser, her name is Daphne. <laughs> That's just real. I'm just telling you the truth. Um, sometimes I tell Daphne that I'm tired. And she says, she just look at me like, oh, you are tired, huh? And she's saying that because she know that I probably took on something that I shouldn't have taken on. And most of the time, it's my own fault. And she want to come and punch me in the stomach. 
Sometimes she does. Or pull my beard or something. She's a little violent over there. She, she is. I'm telling the truth, right? I'm sorry. I'm, okay, I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. But you know what? I am grateful. I am so grateful because we need people in our lives that will help keep us straight. Right? Yeah, that's right. I'm going to need prayer, okay? Somebody got to come pray for me. I know, that's right. Bad, bad place. Bad place. That's right. All right. We have to learn how to face, focus our lives. We lay a foundation and release those things that we do not want to worry about. Um, one reason, and I think this is a great place to end because I got like five more pages. I'm not joking. So I'm going to have to stop right here. So, but again, if you are dealing with, and any of us, and this is an honorable thing, if you know you're dealing with something, it doesn't have to be to the extreme of depression that you're going to commit suicide. It just may be something that you need to talk to somebody about. Okay? That's why other believers are here. This congregation is full of um, people who love to talk. Am I telling the truth? Especially in Onek. This is a good thing. But again, and don't be so judgmental to people when I come at you and say, you know what, I'm having a hard time with this. Don't be like, oh, you, oh, I know you don't have no heart. What's wrong with you? Okay? We all have things we need to work on. So, so as we, again, as we close here, and this is a real close this time, um, as we close, um, again, just think about this so that we can help each other to heal. Amen? So if everyone would please close your eyes. Thank you. Bow your head. Father, we just love you, and thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for healing each one of us, Father. I give you praise for that, Father. I thank you, Lord, for even if you're somewhere in of Australia online, if you're in China, if you're in Japan, um, wherever you are listening to this message, I just thank you, Lord, that this person, whoever's needing that help, they're going to get help. Go and find a local congregation, a local church someplace that'll, that'll talk to them, Lord. And if, if you're online and you need help, you need healing, if you need prayer, there's a number that should be online right now where you can contact us, and we would love to pray with you because, again, we need help, each one of us. And even beyond that, if you do not know, if you were to die right now at this moment and you're not at peace with your soul, you do not know where you're going to go if you were to die, you need to make a decision today. You don't have time. You do not have time. Every second is a gift, and we need to recognize that. So if you have not received the Messiah as your Lord, which means you're not sure if you're going to go to heaven, this is your day to do that. That's one. Number two, if you need prayer, I want you to come down after we get done with service and get prayer from our prayer team. Amen. So if any of these things um, pertain to you, please respond. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for each person here, Lord. And if someone would like to respond to the call, you don't even have to wait until I get done for the altar call. You could just run up here if it's in your heart. Just be real. You know, if you don't know that if you were to die right now, you, don't, you would know what you would go. So I'm going to give everybody a minute to just think about that. Well, amen. Amen. Well, we, Lord, we just give you praise for um, healing each person here, Lord, and for those who maybe they didn't necessarily respond out loud, but they responded to themselves and to you, Lord. And I give you praise for all that you're going to do in their lives. In Yeshua's name, amen.
Amen.